Happy Thursday, my darling pop culture junkies. This is Pop Culture Mondays on Thursdays, and I'm your host, Brooke Hammerling. Pop Culture Hello, hello, everyone. It's episode 58. We're getting into numbers that I haven't yet reached in my age, so it's very exciting. Anyway, happy Thursday, everyone. And it's just me. I was going to have a guest this week, um, and he's really keen on doing it, but schedules and whatnot are tough and time zones are tough. So when he is able to commit, I cannot wait to tell you who he is. It'll be really fun and always topical. So he can join at any point in the conversation because he is a part of pop culture. So it'll be fun. And that is all I'm going to say. But wow, what a week last week was. This week is a little, it's a little chiller. We haven't had a 24-7 news cycle. There's lots going on this week, some of which I'm not even going to discuss because it bores me to tears. But I thought we would just sort of get into a little, a little bit of what's going on. But first I want to make a housekeeping note, and that is I something I meant to bring up last week. And David was supposed to remind me, David, the producer, but he forgot. I forgot. And it has been brought to my attention now by a lot of you. And that is the the Padam Padam, the beautiful Kylie Minogue song. And it's from the Edith Piaf song. So it's supposed to sound like the heartbeat, like Padam 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 Padam. Now, as many of you know, I spoke about this in two weeks ago and I said it in, God, it makes me cringe now. It makes me cringe. I couldn't listen to the podcast because I was like, what the fuck was wrong with me? Why was I saying padam, padam? I mean, it was like, it's literally nails on a chalkboard to me. What is wrong? I sound ridiculous. And it was, it was so obvious to me the minute that I listened to it and I couldn't go back because it was already out. And I actually debated whether I told David to pull it. I'm like, I'm so mortified. I can't believe I said padam, padam. Like it's really, it just breaks my heart. So this is a course correction. I am correcting myself. I am letting you all know I am aware of the travesty for which I pronounce padam, padam. I am aware that it was very upsetting to some of you. I am aware that uh, it was insulting to some. I am aware that it made me lose a little bit of my pop culture street cred. I have heard you completely appropriate reactions. And I, I just want to apologize. I come to you humbly on bended knee asking for your forgiveness. And most importantly to Kylie Minogue, because it was an embarrassment of epic proportions to mispronounce something so profound. So moving on, we're going to talk about what happened last week and what what is really been on the minds of the sort of pop culture gen all over the place, different gens, but things that are happening this week that I'm choosing to ignore, but you might just, I can give you top lines. There's Roseanne Barr. Like, why is she still talking? Why is she still in the world in terms of pop culture and having a platform and she's basically trying to say that as a comedian, like free speech and this and that. And I'm all for that. If you're funny, like if you're funny, you have to actually have a sense of humor. You have to be profound or thought provoking like a Dave Chappelle. 
who's controversial for sure, but thoughtful and thought provoking and not controversial for controversy's sake. So Roseanne Barr, who's clearly uh, made made it known her feelings, whether she's a Trumpy, whether she's uh, anti-Semitic, which she claims she can't be because she's Jewish, but you can be a self-loathing Jew. I am the product of two of them. So I happen to know that that diagnosis very well. And, you know, she's gotten fired for her racist comments. She got fired from her own show, The Roseanne Show. So here we are. She said something on some podcast. I'd like to believe she was trying to be sarcastic, but as you know, it's kind of hard to tell. She's not the most clever with her words, but basically it's been reported and it's going around on all of the socials that she's said the Holocaust, like 6 million Jews didn't die, but 6 million Jews should die for all of the problems that they've put into the world. So I'm not going to give context because there is none. doesn't matter really. And even if she's sarcastic, but she wasn't, it's so hard to understand what she's trying to say because there's a lot clearly going on in her brain that maybe medication would help. I, I, I just don't know, but maybe she really thinks that her humor and satire or whatever she was trying to do was obvious, um, but it's not. So she's then going to turn it around and be like, everybody's stupid. You're stupid. We're stupid. That's fine. But I choose to just mute her and I'll get to my Mary mute make out later, but add that to the list. I mute Roseanne Barr. I mean, why it's 2023. Why is she popping up? So there's that. And, but speaking about self-loathing Jews being the daughter, the daughter of two of them, I, David, I don't think I told you this, but I've just booked my first ever trip to Israel. So if you guys are listening and you're fans of mine in Israel or friends of mine who are very connected to Israel and have been, and I I need all the guidance. I'm going in August, which a lot of my Israeli friends are appalled by because it's hot. A lot of people will be traveling in a way, but I am going because of a pop culture icon in and of himself, Yoni Bloch, who we are going to get on this podcast. He is a dear friend of mine. He is a tech entrepreneur. He is Israeli and he is now a pop star in this new world of his. He was always a successful musician, but thanks to TikTok and whatnot and COVID, he's become a huge star and I'm going to go see his shows. Like it, it's the classic Brooke to finally get to a place that she's been coveting going for a rock show. Cause that's like, I'm a full on bandaid. I am a full on penny lane. Like send me to a rock show. Like I've been talking about going to Israel for 25 years and I've promised friends over the years that I would go. And I have not pulled the trigger, so to speak, until I finally got invited to see my friend perform a big rock show in an arena and I'm going. And so if you guys are going to be in Israel, please hit me up. I'll be there at the end of like mid to late August. And I'm very excited. So I am going to be all Israel all the time between now and then I am doing my research. I'm going to go everywhere. I want to see everything. If you guys have any tips, please let me know. But 
sort of tying into this is my adventure travel. Like I generally am a creature of habit. I go to the same places. You guys have heard me talk. I go to GoldenEye in Jamaica because it is my favorite place. Like why try to fix something that isn't broken? And I love seeing new places. Don't get me wrong, but I am a creature of habit. I go to the places that I love and can't get enough of, whether it's Italy or France or Spain or Portugal, or I'm very, very fortunate in sort of having these places that I have come to, to love. But I am not an adventure travel person in the sense of I have no interest, none in climbing a mountain, especially Everest, but really any mountain. I have no interest in being dropped from a helicopter on top of a ski slope somewhere that's never been skied or snowboarded. Nope, I'm good. You'll find me at the lodge drinking a hot toddy and reading a book. Uh, I have no interest in being dropped in the middle of an ocean with a bunch of surfers and trekking our way back to some sort of Tahitian island. Nope can be just fine sitting on that island happily in the island as long as I have air conditioning (laughs) and mosquito netting. And I am definitely not an adventure traveler that would go into the deep, deep sea in a experimental boat. And I say this, it's funny, I say this, but I have been known to do stupid things. Like I did have a friend of mine who was a pilot offer me a flight. This was probably 10, 12 years ago from Silicon Valley to LA in an experimental plane. And I, again, this is 10 or 12 years ago, so I'm probably wiser now. And I said, sure, sounds great. Got to be better than a Southwest flight. I was, I was going down to LA for work. I was in San Francisco for work and it sounds better, right? Going into some experimental plane with a pilot. This experimental plane did in fact look like a fishbowl. And with like a little jet, like a little propeller thing. It was a glass bulb that was just two of us. Like, and I mean, I'm pretty sure he was flying it maybe with a game controller or whatnot. It's absurd. And it took me, it took us three and a half hours, maybe almost four to fly from Silicon Valley to LA in a fishbowl. I mean, everything was glass. The fact that that thing didn't implode and, you know, I, I was spread out all throughout the Southern Los Angeles area is a miracle. I still can't believe I did that, but that's not because I was adventurous. That was just because I was stupid. And I thought like it was a private plane. (laughs) I was getting, I was like, I'm going to get on some like cool Gulfstream looking plane. And instead it was a fishbowl with like a little tail and little propeller things. But I made it uh, and I I won't do that again. Like I won't do that again. I went skydiving. It's true. Like a long, long, long time ago. I think I talked about it last time. I mean, this is like 1996, 1997. But as I progressed, I did like four jumps, but each jump I got more aware of the the adrenaline more often than like the reality sets in. And I became more fearful, more aware of the potential disasters that were going to obviously come at me at some point. And so when there was this opportunity to train and do more skydiving, I was like, nope, I'm good. I got four jumps. That's all the jumps I'm going to need for the rest of my life. So there's no way I would have been on this submersible. And we talked a lot about it in the last podcast because it was just sort of happening. I think when we taped last week with Brit, it was 
we still thought there was a chance they were alive and there was a countdown clock on all of the cable news. I mean, how fucking morbid is that? A countdown clock on CNN and MSNBC for when they were going to run out of oxygen. So as we all know now, they ran out of oxygen, but that did not play a part in their deaths. Um, And in fact, maybe in a blessing It's because they died very quickly, apparently, and it happened like that moment. Like they were, it was probably within a very short period of time of their first of them going down. And there's some indication that they knew James Cameron, who is, it's so funny. If you guys listen to Howard Stern, it's so funny. I think um, Robin made the case of like, you know, he's the only director that has actually gone down into the depths of the Titanic like 30 times or whatever but like God is so method with his storytelling that he's done it like there are lots of movie makers who've made space movies and have not gone to Mars or the moon or any sort of space outing in order to tell their story and their movie but James Cameron has and he's quite the expert I think he's even made his own submarines and he likes so many I mean whether it's David Pogue who did the interview with the Ocean Gate founder and CEO who's now dead. Um, I think it was for like 60 minutes or CBS this morning. There's also the science reporter for the New York times who was on the daily last week. And all of these people, all three of them were like explaining how dangerous it was and how risky it was and how carbon fiber was an unproven material in that setting and that the boat needed to be certified and that he wouldn't get certifications and he was a rebel, but like none of them said this before. Like the story that David Pogue put out was a very much like, oh, my God, innovation. And we have to break things in order to innovate. And James Cameron, who has expressed regret in not speaking out more. And this journalist for The New York Times, who literally could have written an entire sort of expose on how he's putting this company was putting you know, civilians lives at risk. And so it's one thing to build an experimental machine and go out and do it for research and test and test and test and put your own life at risk. But this guy was like a fucking psychopath who had Titanic kink written all over him. He was obsessed with the Titanic. He married a descendant of, of the people who died on the Titanic. Like he's clearly has a kink and he was taking 250 grand from rich people in order to create experiences with the consumers in order to raise money for his business. And now in the, in the wake of this tragedy, which we believe James Cameron, by the way, has said that he believes they knew something bad was happening because these alerts would have sounded. And that's why they let go of these weights to allow the submersible to go up really quickly, but it imploded. So they knew something was up. And then you have, have all of these sort of experts saying, well, they knew that it was a danger and they knew it was a risk. And this guy can do that. But when you're taking money from consumers and offering this experience, it's a tragedy. And there are now reports that are coming out where well-known people, rich people are sharing the messages from the founder and CEO of him trying to get these guys to do this trip and offering like discounted prices. Like it's just all very crass and tragic. And the biggest tragedy is obviously this 19 year old who died and he brought his Rubik's cube down. That's what the reports are because he wanted to do a Guinness book of world record of the finishing a 
Rubik's cube at the deepest depths. So uh, it really puts things in perspective. But what the newsletter was about is that I think we all, as I would imagine, almost all of you listening have dealt with tragedy. Tragedy comes in all shapes and sizes. Tragedy is obviously can be sudden loss. It can be, you know, loss due to illness. It can be loss of a loved one, loss of a pet, illness to yourself or others. It could be, you know, I mean, it could be financial. It could be, we've all dealt with, we've had our own tangible taste in tragedy. And I would imagine a lot of you find comfort in humor, whether it's dark humor or just humor, just to get us through. And dark humor is what got us through a lot of this stuff. And there are so many memes, so, so, so many memes. But the two that really stood out was this Bill Hader meme, the comic. And it, he had this sort of like dancing gif that that got reapplied to all these different sort of videos of like, it would be a dancing Bill in front of the gates of hell. And it's the same music. And it's like, you know, how we all are going to enter hell because we're laughing at the loss of these people. And, and it just continues. And then there's the other using the Celine Dion song, obviously from Titanic. And it's like, sort of like the Titanic, everybody's there minding their own business, resting in their paradise. And then all of a sudden you see this like submersible ocean gate thing, just like torpedo down, or it's the music from Titanic playing. And it's like, when the people in the submersible wake up, this is what they're going to see. And it's the scene as their Rose has passed away and her old age. And she finds herself back with her friends. And of course, Jack, which is Leo in the Titanic with the music. And it's all very, very sweet. And some of it's very funny and some of it's going to mean we are all going to hell, but it's how we as humans navigate that. The thing that I didn't have a good time with, and it's really interesting. And if you're listening to this and you run a brand or you run marketing or, or branding for a company, or you're trying to navigate the different generations, there is without question, regardless of the side of the fence these kids fall in politically, whether they're liberals or they're Republicans and conservatives or Democrats or they're in different countries, wherever they fall, there is this real, it's so funny because there's at the same time hero worship for people like Elon Musk, but in the other, it's the rich deserve to die. So it's this, this maniacal, sort of theme that kept popping up in a lot of TikToks and a lot of memes that I saw. It was like, you know, how rich people can be so dumb, how they deserved it, how like it's weeding out the people that they don't want and that the rich deserved it. Basically the rich deserved it. I really don't understand that. I don't understand anybody deserving that. I don't understand the narrative of people having more than us. So therefore they deserve to be punished or hurt or maimed or mocked. I just, I really don't understand it. I don't think it's generational for me. I think it's just, I have a bit more humanity, but that being said, there is a ridiculousness also with the very rich and privileged that don't have awareness of the things they do being seen in a different lens, <laughs> it doesn't look great. So there's sort of two sides of it, but I really, I think it's something that we need to pay attention to this. This, it used to be aspirational to want to be like a billionaire. And now it doesn't seem aspirational. It seems like they want something different, but at the same time, and there's that TikToker that's quite well known who's English and it's I'm rich, you're rich, I'm poor, that mentality. And we're called povos. Like anybody that's not rich is povo, like for poverty. 
Anyway, it's I could go on in this whole tangent. You don't want to hear me talk about this. It's not a sociology course, but I just I think it's something we need to pay attention to. And it's interesting how from where we used to have these aspirational brands and people wanted that luxury. Now it's that quiet luxury. It's sort of you don't want to be flashy, that overpowering sense of like being covered in designer labels it's like, well, you don't want that now. Now you want to wear designer and have it, but you don't want it to be saying Balenciaga everywhere or whatever the brand of the day is. So it's interesting, lots of uh, hypocrisy. And there we are. I don't think that's any different from generations in the past. But so moving on to our little coup, I'm obsessed with this little coup. I have to say, like we went from, I put it in my newsletter, but we went from like, experts on deep sea tourism navigation, like science, we became experts. Like I know more about carbon fiber and mixed materials and, and fiberglass and all of these things. Crazy. And then I became a Russian expert. Like I'm a geopolitical expert. We all did. We just were like, oh, okay. I mean, I knew about Prigozhin or Prigozhin forever. Yevgeny Prigozhin, the hot dog guy. I've known about him since he sort of came into the news culture zeitgeist because he looks like the most Russian guy. Like if you were to create a Russian person in your brain, like and the AI was able to like get into your brain, it would be him. There's nobody more Russian looking. But I could not have told you his name. I could not have told you how to pronounce it. Now I'm like a Prigozhin expert. Like I've gone back like this guy. He was like a petty thief. He was a bad thief. He got sent to prison in this is in the Soviet Union days. Prisons were not awesome. I can't imagine a Russian prison now is great, but a, a Soviet era prison, not where you want to be. And he gets out and he has a hot dog stand with his family. And the guy is like a full on Web3 entrepreneur. Like he if he was a teenager today, he would totally have a crypto company. He would totally have had a Web3 company. He'd have rocket ships after his name on Twitter instead of Putin he'd be supporting Elon. So he's that guy. He starts a hot dog stand and the hot dog stand becomes multiple, like a chain of restaurants. And now like the legitimate journalism, and I say legitimate, I mean like mainstream media that they report that he and Putin got connected once Putin was already the leader. So like around 2000. And he had this catering company that had stemmed from his successful hot dog restaurants that turned into other restaurants and convenience stores or whatnot. And so he was the caterer and he was brought on and then Putin sort of saw something in him. I call bullshit on that. That just doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. Like there's no way that Putin would have just hired this random former criminal as the head of like the state dinners. In my mind... And from what I've read, when you go really deep on message boards and stuff, is that they totally knew each other during the hot dog days. And Putin, when he was like, and this is the fantasy story that I just like to go with. So this is the narrative. I love creative nonfiction. So let's just consider this. We have no idea if it's based on actual truth, but I like this story. And that is, imagine Prigozhin has like his hot dog places. Putin is a KGB operative, needs a place to hang with his other KGB pals. They end up in one of the hot dog places, Prigozhin, him. They sort of see eye to eye on things. Prigozhin looks like a bad guy. And... (laughs) 
Putin is like, I like this guy. He's scrappy. He's like, he'll do anything. Doesn't mind getting his hands dirty. Let's figure this out. And so in my mind, that happened long before 2000. And so then he's sort of brought up into this world and he becomes his heavy, basically. He's like, you've seen him in every Bond movie, in every Marvel movie. There's like a bad guy behind the bad guy, like Jeff Bridges, right? In Iron Man. But like Jeff Bridges had like people behind him or there were all these sort of bad guys behind bad guys. And he's that guy. And he then was running Wagner, which is the private military mercenary group that sort of was developed. My understanding was like through Prigozhin and Putin and others sort of at the time Russia invaded Crimea. And the idea was like, let's have these sort of like badass mercenaries, private army come in, go on the front lines. They'll, you know, in the Russian army, therefore you don't have, you know, kids who are fighting for their country being sent home in body bags, which then upset the people. So you sort of have two different armies. And then Prigozhin becomes sort of like the de facto head of that. And apparently it's named after Wagner as in the composer. And... There is some connection to because it was Hitler's favorite composer, which we all probably know. And it just feels very ominous and dark and crazy and scary and terrifying. And then Prigozhin has been leaked in videos where he was actually in prisons speaking to the prisoners, Russian prisons, his people, and saying, look, you're, you guys can join our army. You will, this is what you get to do. You can come out of prison. You get to work on the front lines. If you misbehave, if you do anything or you try to leave or anything bad, we will shoot you on site. No questions asked. Avita Zane. But if you'd survive and you can do it for six months, then you are free. And these are the worst of the worst. These are criminals. These are not people who stole bread in the Soviet Union. These are people who are murderers, are rapists, are children, child rapists. They are the worst of the worst. And so again, we've also seen that movie. And he is, it was never confirmed, but we see leaked videos. There are advertisements for Wagner all through Russia, billboards, sort of like, it's this prestigious sort of thing. And then we kept hearing that these reports of these people getting killed, that the planning was bad, the strategy was bad, the intel was bad. And theoretically, these guys, I can imagine, it's Prigozhin and his people, they're sort of just, they just get shit done. They're the dirty people. They're the ones that go in and put, They do the heavy stuff, but it's the people back in the military expertise that are doing setting the strategy and creating a sort of game plan for like, we're going to attack here and we're going to invade here and we're going to do this. And that they were not working together well. And so Prigozhin was getting increasingly more frustrated with the failure and he, you know, and then the deaths of his people so much so that he inexplicably went on a tear. And the only reason that we can think is because Putin must be weak and politically weak, physically weak, something, because people do not go against Putin. And what we thought was going to be this crazy coup or attempted coup where he had gotten his people, the military, the tanks were rolling into places in Russia and on their way to Moscow. And there were reports that Putin disappeared. It was everywhere. The TikToks were crazy. I mean, the TikToks were so funny. They had music playing. 
thing that was like pop music and you'd see the tanks coming in and then you'd see guys walking by smoking cigarettes and wearing shorts and, and Birkenstocks. And then the guy with like the Postmates delivery guy who is trying to navigate his bike through the tanks. Like it's such a juxtaposition bananas. And we're all sort of what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Where is Putin? Da, 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 da. And then it all of a sudden it ended. And the, the reports that we got, and by the way, it was very difficult to get the news because CNN, MSNBC were still in Newfoundland. They were like, nobody got the memo. They don't have anybody running the show, at least at CNN. They didn't get the memo that like, we're done with Newfoundland. The boat's gone. Everybody's dead. It's sad. We now have all as a society moved on to our next obsession, our next pop culture, watching it on TikTok, watching it unfold on social media, on Twitter, and on Instagram too, to some extent, like Anderson Cooper is still in Newfoundland interviewing people there. Like we're like, hello, they were not covering it. I imagine they were still trying to figure out what was real, what was propaganda, but it doesn't matter. The people had left that we had stopped caring about submersible. It had been a week of that ended in tragedy. We needed to move on. We had found our next addiction and that was Prigozhin and what's going to happen in Russia. So by the time the news people finally sort of woke up to it, it was basically over. Now the story is that they negotiated with him and he's now in exile in Belarus, like Belarus got in, da, 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 da. But again, if you go sort of deep into things, there is reporting that he had to basically stop his whatever, his, his attempted coup, because a bunch of the mercenaries families in Russia were being, um, threatened, if you will. And you can believe that, right? There's a possibility. You could imagine that this all happened so quickly that the, that these guys wanted to fight for their leader Prigozhin and they're going to do it. And then all of a sudden their mothers, their wives, their children are being held by Russian police and so forth. So whatever the true story is, Prigozhin is currently in Belarus. We hear apparently still alive. We all believe that there's going to be like a falling out of a building or a, you know, poisoning to come because that's how it's done there. But I mean, somebody make this movie because it's like the most exciting thing. And we're all sort of now like, what's next? Feed us, feed us pop culture and breaking news. But the memes were great. I mean, they're one of my fun. There's like the couple in bed and they're look so loungy and they're all in white and the woman is like gloriously just waking up and the husband's leaning over and it says, honey, wake up. Russian civil war is starting. They're just, they're funny. So again, we turn to humor to guide us through tragedy. And then lastly, I just want to talk about, because I'm so bored with this topic as well. Is it on? Is it not? Is it happening? Is it not? And that is the cage fight with Space Karen, a.k.a. Elon, and I'll call him Metaverse Karen, Mark Zuckerberg. Speaking of billionaires, two middle-aged white men, one from Westchester County, New York, originally, and one from South Africa, apartheid early days of his youth, Elon. And they have somehow both agreed to doing a cage fight that was sort of brought to us by UFC's Dana White. I imagine Joe Rogan is going to be the MC, And Elon, as I stated in my newsletter, is known for sort of just going off script. He doesn't have a script. He doesn't have a series of people, despite the desires of the David Saxes and Jason Calcanis of the world to be his right hands. 
Elon has made it clear he does everything sort of at the whim of Elon. And he has up days, down days, lots of reporting out now on his sort of ketamine habits, things like that, up and down cycles. He does not go to a team of people. He doesn't believe in communications or, or anything like that, but he doesn't go to a team of people and say, let's strategize on what this would look like, me having a cage fight with Mark Zuckerberg. But Mark Zuckerberg 1000% does everything with a you know, thoughtful, maybe or not, but strategic. There is always an agenda. So whether it's his wife or it's the heads of the companies or the heads of policy and comms, Everything he does is calculated. There is no like, oh, I'm just going to post a picture of me on my surfboard. Like it's all done with an agenda. There's lots of I's dotted and T's crossed before he puts that up. There's no just like, let me post a picture with me and my dog and my kids. There's always a purpose. There's always a strategy behind it. So you have Elon on Twitter talking about a cage fight with with Mark and says, name the place, name the time, da, 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 da. He even says his position is like the walrus where he just like sits on somebody. So that's on his social media platform. And then on Instagram, on a story, Mark Zuckerberg screenshots the Twitter discussion about it. And he's like, name the place, name the time or whatever. And everybody's going nuts. It's obviously Mark has, has had sign off. He has a board that he's thinking of. He has all the people that are his advisors, his family, like everything was calculated. And I'm like, what was the agenda? What was he trying to do? Is he trying to get into that zeitgeist? Because it's never been a better time for Mark Zuckerberg. All the heat's been off him. The guy that everybody loved to hate, all of a sudden it stopped being Zuck and it's been Elon. So why Zuck wants to enter the conversation now and be like, let me throw myself literally and figuratively back in the ring. Makes no sense to me. But alas, he did it. And everybody's like, what's happening? I can't really believe it's real. Two billionaires are going to fight in the octagon. And this is how you can profit. Even Dana White, the founder of the UFC, says that both Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg want this fight to happen. And it will be the biggest fight in the history of humankind. At this scale, the markets will react. And I think the loser's company will crash the day after the fight. So if you think Elon's going to win, short meta. And if you think Zuck's going to win, short Tesla. I also think that Elon's going to wear the Dogecoin logo during his walkout or on his shorts, sending the price of Doge to the moon. Now, obviously, you can just bet on the fight, but if you like a little bit of creative risk, these were the opportunities that I thought of. But it's not real financial advice. Please, I'm just having fun. Then you have Elon's mother enter the conversation, and a grown man's mom is now on Twitter saying, I've canceled the fight, da-da-da-da-da. And obviously, it's got to be tongue-in-cheek, but then, like, there's a small percentage of me that's like, are they all serious? Like, is it going to become, like, a joke that has to become real? So we have no idea because now she says she's canceled it. But now there's like all this analysis of like where the fight could be, how much Dana White could make, what money would come from it. Where would the money go? I can't believe in this world. This is what we're talking about. And the people imagery of the two of them fighting in a cage match with mud and bikini bottoms and then they have big bosoms is it's just I'm staring at this photo right now. And it's like if I've ever needed like deep, deep, deep therapy, it's from this entire moment in my life. So that is where we're at. Maybe they're, maybe the kids are onto something. Like you get so rich, like you just lost your mind. Like we don't need this. Like maybe all of those people, and I'm fine with it. Like all of those people that are choosing to live their life this way and make, and, and making us have to live in the wake of it. Maybe they can just go off to their own Island somewhere and just hang out. Like, just go, just go have fun, but pay taxes here. Like actually pay taxes. And then we'll, we'll all be 
be happy. So did I miss anything? I mean, I'm sure I have. There's so much going on. I can't even, I'm looking at my notes from what I'm going to like write about next week. And there's very, there's literally very little. There's this um, Shein store, which I don't know if you have a teenager or if you watch TikToks, you're very familiar with Shein. It's this Chinese e-commerce company that makes fast fashion and it's everything like purses, shoes, handbags, very, very cheap in factories. Obviously it's like sweat labor, sweat shops. I mean, something it's very fast fashion. So something becomes a trend. You see something popular. Shein dupes it. There's so much stuff. And if you're watching any of these sort of get ready with me's, the girls are, everybody's into the high low. So it's like my earrings are Cartier. My shoes are Shein. My uh, necklace is Amazon. My purse is Gucci. Like it's very high low, but the Shein's stuff is massive. I mean, it is a massive, massive business. It is a Chinese owned company that is, you know, we're talking about the dangers of TikTok. I'm pretty sure like the dangers of Shein to like industries in the US are pretty problematic. They are shutting down founder driven businesses. They are copying them. They are taking their products, whether they're big companies or small companies and duping them and selling them for pennies. They don't have the same tax laws that we do. So they actually ultimately pay less in taxes than US companies, which just just like makes no sense. So now you've Shein did an influencer tour. They brought these influencers, TikTok and Instagram creators to their factory in China. And we're like, look at how great we are. This is so great. We're sustainable. Our people love being here. And you have these sort of like 22 year old TikTokers are like, you know, I'm really impressed with how Shein's been so transparent and they've been amazing. And like, I spoke to these people and they like love it here. I was like, tell me, are the work conditions good? And they're like, it's so great. But meanwhile, they're in China. The people are all, they're like 30 people from the company and you know, whatnot sitting there while this person has a camera, you know, and they're filming them. Of course, they're not going to say anything, but like, it's glorious. It's fantastic. And these citizen journalists of TikTok are like patting themselves on the back. Like I'm radically different from, you know, everybody else. And I've seen the underbelly of, of the factory and it's really beautiful here. It's like Willy Wonka. Everybody's happy. Meanwhile, the Oompa Loompas were like slaves and drowning in the chocolate on the regular. Sheen hosts an influencer trip at a factory in China and it's the biggest load of propaganda crap. Excited and impressed to see the working conditions. The next day we headed to the Sheen Innovation Center. This facility blew my mind. It's over 600,000 square feet. There's so much technology and Sheen is just such a developed and complex company and it was so beautiful to see firsthand. I was able to interview a woman that worked in the fabric cutting department and you guys know me. She's an investigative journalist so I asked her all of our questions and she answered them honestly and authentically. She was very surprised at all the rumors that have been spread in the U.S. I'm sorry, did this influencer just say the rumors? The fact that the garment workers are forced to wear 17 hour days and their docked pay if the garment is imperfect, a vicious rumor. It gets worse. I think my biggest takeaway from this trip is to be an independent thinker, get the facts and see it with your own two eyes. Is there narrative fed to us in the U.S. and I'm one that always likes to be open-minded and seek the truth, so I'm grateful for that about myself and I hope the same for you. Just ignoring for a second the fact that this influencer has obviously been paid to say these things. I feel as if though she's almost gaslighting the viewer because ultimately she's saying if you believe this narrative, these rumours, then you're not an independent thinker, you're just believing the rumours. It really grinds my gears, but she clearly made a bag, so. There you have it. That's that's the scandal of the week. And Shein is a company that is way more dangerous in my mind than a TikTok. Let's just go right into the Mary Makeout mute. And as I said earlier, I obviously am muting Roseanne Barr, but I just, it's my show, my rules. I'm muting a lot of things. I'm muting Elon. I'm muting Mark Zuckerberg. I'm muting Elon's mother. I'm muting 
everything about cage matches. I'm just muting it all. Like, it's just like the ick. I have such an ick with these guys and this self-centered navel gazing, like take, stop the ketamine guys. Just stop it. Mute, 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 mute. I'm going to be controversial here and say that I would make out with Prigozhin because I think it would be fun. Like, right. Like, come on, Prigozhin, like make me some hot dogs and tell me I'm hot. Like, yeah. Like do it in your rough Russian with like your armed mercenaries outside, like protecting us at all costs. I'm ready. I'm ready to make out with Prigozhin and Mary, Mary and make out like Mary, Mary, Mary make out is Jeremy Allen White from the bear, which is literally the greatest show. I can't, I'm so happy as, as horrible and disgusting as the idol is. And let's be clear, like the second season of sex in the city is I'm not even talking about it. I can't, I can't, I can't talk about it. I love SJP. I can't talk about this season. So we're just ignoring it, but as bad as the idol is and disgusting and ick, is as good as the bear is second season. It's so good. I mean, the soundtrack is unbelievable. Lots of REM as John Heilman talked about when he was a guest, but Jeremy Allen White, who plays the bear is the lead. And there's Eben, who I used to know really well back in the nineties and two thousands, who plays cuz Richie. I mean, the cast is incredible. There's so many great, I'm not going to spoil it, but there's so many great guests that appear sort of, you know, it's just, I want to marry the entire show. I think I'd actually marry the bear, but Jeremy Allen White is in a particularly front of my brain because he is a giant red flag. And I love that as we know. That's it, kids. We are not going to have a podcast next week. We will have a newsletter, which will come out the Monday before the holiday, even though it's kind of a holiday week. But you guys are all going to be just digging out from a long weekend. You're not going to listen to the podcast. I'm not going to be recording a podcast. David and I are going to be nursing hangovers and our full bellies from barbecues and whatnot. So we'll catch you the following week where I'll be recording from New York City. And I cannot wait. So that's it, my darling pop culture junkies. Have a beautiful rest of the week and weekend and holiday. And I'll catch you on the other side. Pop culture.